Today on the podcast, I'm talking with my friend Farai Harold. Farai is a writer, herbalist, mother, and birth worker living and loving on Ka and Osage unceded land in Kansas. Farai is a Zimbabwe-born Botswana-bred earthling with a penchant for all things herbal, natural, and eco-friendly. She shares on her blog and social media about topics ranging from plants, motherhood, food, sustainability, fashion, gardening, and much more. Farai and I met through our mutual friend Hannah in 2020 when I was pregnant with my twins in 2020 and during their first few months of life, Farai was a major source of support and inspiration for me. She's a doula and she lent me her advice and a sympathetic ear as I struggled through postpartum and mothering newborn twins during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm excited to talk with Farai about motherhood. She's a mom to a seven-year-old and one-year-old her approach to schooling, and integrating herbalism into her everyday life. Fry, how are you doing this morning? I'm here. I, my son <laughs> handed me like a disgusting chicken feather that I don't know where. <laughs> he just woke up. So yeah, so I'm great. <laughs> Let's jump right into it. Fry has a busy morning with two littles and a coughing dog. So <laughs> Just to tee it up a little bit, she was, well, like I mentioned in the intro, uh, she grew up in Botswana mm-hmm. and moved to the United States when you were 18. 18. 18. Okay. Yeah. Can you kind of jump in by just telling us your story? Yeah. Um, my father is from here, from Kansas, rural Kansas, and he moved to Zimbabwe, which is where he met my mom. And then I was born a few years after that. And with the political unrest kind of developing, my dad kind of saw it before it even happened and he chose to move us to Botswana. And that's where I spent my formative years. I think we moved to Botswana around four, when maybe I was four or five, I think. And that's where I grew up. That's the one of the main places. I consider all three, Kansas, Zimbabwe and Botswana my home. But I grew up in Botswana. That's where, yeah, I spent my most formative years. And then once I was done with secondary school, my dad was like, it's time for you to go to America and make a way for yourself. Go to college and all that stuff. And I had never been here growing up. My dad never, once my dad made it to Zimbabwe, he was like, this is it for me. I'm happy here. He had no desire to come back to America. Mm. and he ended up passing away there and so he never traveled back here so I had never been here before Mm. I have family aunts one of my brothers was here and cousins and I had never met them we'd kind of written letters back and forth sent cassette tapes back and forth (laughs) Uh, that that ages us (laughs) it really does Um, and then I came here and started going to school, met my husband, and the rest is history. My mom passed away when I was six. My dad remarried uh, not too long afterwards, and so I was raised by my stepmother and my father. And outside of my issues that I had with my stepmother, I feel like I had a pretty typical 90s childhood that most millennials who grew up in the 90s had. You know, Usher, Destiny's Child. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> malls, malls. <Harry> <laughs> you know, with a with a huge sprinkle of trauma from my stepmother's abuse but I feel like I had a pretty 
typical experience. And a lot of Americans are always like, Africa, oh, lions. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's pretty, pretty common. Uh, yeah. lions. Yeah. No, that uh, was the, that's the number one question that I get asked. So did you wear clothes? And... <laughs> did you run away from cheetahs and i'm like uh, that was when i first moved here i was like what the hell are they you should have just you should have just gone with it and been like yeah it depends on the day sometimes i would because i waitress a lot so people would ask me questions i remember my best question was when i was a bartender and this guy was like where are you from and i was like zimbabwe and he goes is that in texas and i was like (laughs) (laughs) yes Sure, it is. Thank you. Here's your Bud Light. Bye. Of all places, that Texas. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, that's funny. So you spent your formative years in Botswana and then uh, moved to Kansas when you were 18 without your parents. I didn't realize that your dad stayed yes. back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Girl, first time on a plane, first time flying, first time leaving my home, first time seeing that many people at JFK first time seeing white people in that like J- I, the only white person I would see for months at a time was just my dad, Your dad and yeah. so to go from one to that's all you see them was a huge culture shock <laughs> and then you came straight to Kansas straight to Kansas to rural Kansas Pomona and so I lived with my brother briefly before I moved um, to my dad's hometown to live with my aunt. I attended community college um, briefly to get my like CNA and CMA certifications. And then I moved to Topeka to go to Washburn to actually attend college. And that's where you met Tony. Yes, that's where I met Anthony, Tony. And that was, we've been together 12 years this year. So with the childhood that you had being very different than what your own children are experiencing, how has that informed the way that you parent them? Well, I feel like it, I feel very out of sorts a lot. I I feel, and I, I think a lot of people who are, who are trying to gentle parent or respectful parent, I think a lot for our generation, it's incredibly not how we were raised or it's unfamiliar to us there's a lot of violence in both sides of my family both my grandmothers were very violent women and they were very abused on both I mean on like both sides and they were both very violent to their children and so my dad was very much like I'm never gonna hit my child but I that's the extent of how I know how to like gentle parent that was it then he kind of raised me just how he was raised or just you know don't be a sissy quit whining you know that kind of yeah tough love attitude Mm -hmm. and then stepmom she just took off over probably how she was raised which was just like every infarction a child is getting smacked the child is getting whipped a child deserves to be seen not heard a child you know, isn't it? She had a lot of prejudices and she had a lot of opinions that she that she put on me. And so this is how I was raised. It's how I saw other people kind of getting raised in our circle. And so I knew it was something that I didn't want for my children if I was ever going to have children, but I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And so I sometimes I feel incredibly unequipped, but mm-hmm. other times I'm just like, man, I'm so glad that I get to break these cycles that I know 
that I can be different, that I can do things differently, that it doesn't have to be like this. And I feel a lot of, I feel the weight of that kind of cycle breaking energy. Uh, but also most of the time I'm just grateful. My my husband and I joke that, you know, our children don't know how good they have it. Because <laughs> what if I had said what you just said to me? <laughs> yeah. How did you learn? Like, how did you learn how to gentle parent? How did you learn to do things different? How did you become a cycle breaker? I think it really boiled down to who I was putting myself around well I think no initially the way the first way that I knew that it could be different was the work that I was doing post um, after I graduated with my bachelor's and that was working in domestic violence human trafficking um, and sexual violence Uh, one of the responsibilities that I had was I had this group that I worked with male perpetrators so these were men who were getting like they were attending my class essentially to get some money off of the child support their child support payments but and they had to learn about gender-based violence and they had to learn about some of the choices that they had made that led them to the situations that they were in and we would get real deep and I would like talk about their we would talk about our childhoods and this one reoccurring theme that I saw with all of them was childhood violence Mm. And they them being abused, the, them watching the men in their family abuse the women in their family, and just how that nor, that violence being normalized in childhood really normalized it for them in adulthood and stunted their emotional growth and stunted how they respond to the world and stuff like that. And so... I, after seeing that, I kind of knew that just things had to be different, that I needed to end the the cycle for my own life. And then being around the coworkers that I was around who were also kind of engaging in that work. And then once I had my child attending the baby wearing groups and the breastfeeding groups and not all the time, but sometimes in those quote, unquote, crunchy spaces, um, folks tend to be on those same journeys as well of healing generational trauma, gentle parenting and things like that. So I literally being in community with other people who are doing the work was such I yeah, there's so many books and things that you can take now, but it's also awesome to just be in community with folks. And we, we would joke and say that we were all co-parenting together in those play groups and yeah learning from learning from people who are also doing the work and then therapy therapy was a big one mm-hmm. uh, I was in therapy and addressed some of my own emotional trauma and wounding yeah it's a continual journey I'll never be you know done okay so I just <clears throat> have started learning about Enneagrams and I mm-hmm. like resisted it for a really long time because I, I was like this is phony like what is this shit mm-hmm have you ever looked or have you ever like I never remember my Enneagram. Uh I think I, I just did the test like two months ago and I had to <laughs> save it to my Pinterest board for me to remember. I I it's I find it all fascinating. The Myers Briggs, the Enneagram. Yeah. Uh, and I think when I read my Enneagram, because it's changed, it has changed from the last time I took the test. You know, those things change like through a, a major life event or after having a baby and things like that. So that's part of the reason why I don't remember it. But I, when I did, when I, I can send it to you later if you need me to. 
Well, I'm just curious because I, I listened to this podcast or a couple of podcasts on it yesterday mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I found out, I think I'm a four. And so mm-hmm. I was just curious what maybe you are because I see similarities between us of 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 being cycle breakers and like mm-hmm. being open to things like therapy and like changing yeah. or doing things differently, you know, mm-hmm. different than the way you were raised and just being open to like new approaches. And so, mm-hmm. and I think that was part of being a four is that you're like mm-hmm. open to being wrong and like changing the way that you think and things like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was just curious if that was maybe your number, but <laughs> we don't well, remember. I think it was a higher up number than were that. You? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, just from your perspective, what do you think it ta- and like, this is probably kind of a loaded question, but mm-hmm. what do you think it, takes for someone to be able to be a cycle breaker or to want to do things differently because like the men that you are working with you know so many people just maybe they're aware that they're continuing the cycle but they don't really maybe have an interest or like the tools to change things like what do you think plays into that I think it's just a willingness to be open and to hold yourself accountable right you have to hold yourself accountable and then you have to deal with the issue. So many times people don't, people would rather just push their trauma or their, or the awful things that have happened to them to the side. Like the close people in my family and two close people in my family, whenever something terrible happens, even though they had terrible childhoods where sometimes they tell me stories and I'm like, God damn, grandma did that. Um, (laughs) But when they tell me stuff and I'll be like, Oh, do you see how this plays into how the cho- this choice that you made last week? And then they're like, no, no, bad things happen. And then, you know, you deal with it there. You ex- and then you and then you let it go. Mm. And the, but really what they're doing is they're pushing it down. So if you're willing to not push it down, which is scary and mm. deal with it, and then deal with the sadness or the grief or the anger that comes with overcoming that then I think that's what it is, is just being willing to do the work. I think maybe part of it too is like, I don't know, for me, maybe it's unfair to say I've always felt this way, but I've always felt like there's so much more reward on the other side than there is in continuing to push things down. But, you know, there's probably a lot more to it than that. But but I, I don't know. I think some people don't see it that way. Like don't see that things will be so much better on the other side of dealing with all the shit. I mean, especially, I mean, we live very distracted lives now. We live very distracted lives now. Um, I read somewhere that we don't even have to form. Yeah. We don't even have to form a cohesive thought anymore. He's choosing to be very vocal this morning. <laughs> you don't even have to form a cohesive thought by from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to sleep because you can wake up and just start scrolling and imbibing other people's thoughts and opinions on your phone, you know, mm. watch TV, watch Netflix, scroll, 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 yeah. and do the bare minimum, scroll, scroll, scroll. And so people don't avoid, people, avoid, avoid. Yeah. Avoid, 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 disassociate, disassociate. So that people may not even know that they're using um, social media to distract themselves or just, this regular fast-paced life to distract themselves in that manner and then also people are living much fast-paced lives and may not even know that may not even think that that's available to them or that they have to be doing or paying for all these therapists 
or anything. It can be yeah. intimidating, especially if you're not around yeah. other people that are engaging in this kind of work. I, it's also proximity. I don't know if I would have learned what I learned if I had not have been doing the work that I had been doing. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you touched on the next thing that I wanted to talk about is like the importance of community to you, which just knowing you, I know that that's super important to you and you... Yeah you know, from an observer standpoint, like you do a really great job of surrounding yourself and your children and your whole family unit with a really strong and supportive community. And so particularly when it comes to your kids, why is it important for you to have a community built around your guys's little nucleus? I just don't think that parenting can be done without a village especially in this day and age, we just need each other. I mean, we're human beings by nature. We are communal creatures. We need each other to survive. Um, loneliness reduces our our health. It reduces our lifespan. It's just negative. And then also just going off of the temperament of my child, she is incredibly extroverted and social. And she, even though we're homeschooling, she still needs a lot of social, a lot of social interaction. And so I had to prioritize that for her. She's so cute. When I came by to bring you stuff when uh, Tabisa was brand new, she I had she had met me before, but she was too young to remember. But so to me, I was a or to her, I was a stranger. But she like immediately grabbed my hand and was like, come on, you want to come see my chickens? <laughs> and like yeah, took right. me outside. She, and yeah. already part of the squad. That's how she uh-huh. terrifying as her mother but so you know teaching her (laughs) is super important but yeah she's very social and so I have to nourish her in that way and even for me community after I left the workforce I left the workforce I got to take her to work with me and so I was around all these amazing badass women all the time and so I felt nourished and then when I went home with her at six months I was alone in the house by myself Mm. and I didn't really know any mom friends yet other than like a couple of people that I was doing I went to the baby wearing class with and stuff like that but I didn't really know anyone and so I was isolated as all heck and that was detrimental to me I had I remember I had I have this friend Christy. I, we met on a cloth diapering group on Facebook, and we would WhatsApp each other, video call for hours each day. Because while you we were just, both home with littles, yeah, while we were both home, our children are the same. We're the same age, and we would just go through the motions of the day while talking to each other. And in my culture, and even in both sides of my family, like rural Kansas farmers, and um. Zimbabweans like if I was at home in the village or if I was at home on the farm back in the day I would be you know around aunties and mommies and grandmas and cousins I wouldn't be parenting alone I would be with someone and we need that the babies need that too babies thrive with the care and love of other adults yeah they really I see it with my son and how he is with his aunties and how he is when his dad and I are together um, in the room when he sees both mm-hmm. of us. Like, he's just like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. You know, and everybody's here. Yeah. And it's the same like at homeschool co-op, for example, when, when he sees like some of the other women that he knows that he can trust and he can explore the room and things like that. Yeah. They, they thrive under it. They like it. Yeah. 
like it too. I like, you know, to share my burden and I love to relieve others of their burden too. So as far as homeschooling goes, so <laughs> when I was growing up, my perception of homeschooling was, um, you, <laughs> oh yeah, buddy. <laughs> um, did you ever see Mean Girls, the movie? Yes. Okay. So Katie was homeschooled in Africa, actually. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They're like, oh, she's the homeschooled jungle freak. And then in the beginning, they have like this clip of this white family of homeschooled kids. And it was like, yeah, God, what does it say? Uh, God created the rifle so we could kill the. And this is super not PC now. I'm like, yes. no, I'm, I can't believe this is ever in a movie. So we could kill the. I'm probably going to cut this out, but. Um, <laughs> the dinosaurs and the homosexuals, you know, and they're yeah. just like these weird fucking kids. Yeah. So, so like my perception growing up of homeschooled kids is like they're oddballs and like mm -hmm. and they they don't leave their house and they're like super codependent with their mom and things like mm -hmm. that. So, so I had like a really warped concept of what homeschooling was, and yeah. then. Now, for me, like, honestly, through you and through some other friends that I have who homeschool, I have a t completely different view of what it is and a much more accurate one. But for maybe for people who still have, like, warped views of what homeschooling mm -hmm. is, what does it look like in your family? Well, I can agree with that sentiment because when I, I there's no such thing as homeschooling where I'm from. And everyone goes to school nine months out of the year, you know, three months on, one month off. That's what I did. And I was kind of miserable. And mm -hmm. as I know, most kids are in school, yeah. honestly. But um, yeah, and then when I came to college here, all the homeschool kids that I knew that were my age were kind of not homeschooled for they were maybe socially awkward or maybe strange or maybe weird or had these really strong opinions <laughs> or social awkwardness, I guess I should say. And I I learned later on that I think that they were homeschooled maybe for the wrong reasons. And mm. so if their parents were homeschooling out of religious fear or yeah. I had one friend who her parents just had a lot of social anxiety. And so they just isolated her and did not take her to do anything. And and she was incredibly brilliant and smart and really would have benefited from a more social environment. And so she... Because of that, she's anti-homeschooling. And yeah, and so I think it depends on the reasons and how they were socialized and how how they were taught. Some homeschoolers that keep their kids home and then don't actually really teach them anything, which sucks. But also in the public education system, there's kids that go to school. We all know dumbasses that graduated and you're like, what do you know? How are you <laughs> functioning? So <laughs> there's positives and negatives to everything. Yeah. Um, but for me, homeschooling is an opportunity for me to collaborate with my child on her education. I just, as a Black person in this country, I, and especially where I live in Kansas, our public school district does not feel safe mm. um, for children that look like my child. And then also... I I want to enjoy her and I want her to have a, like, I want learning to be fun for her and I want to raise a lifelong learner and I want her to be able to pursue her interests in childhood, not waiting until she turns 18 so that she can do mm -hmm. stuff. She can do it. I feel I want her to know that she can do it all. Yeah. And homeschooling provides that for me because I can ensure that she's learning 
every alongside everything that you know she needs to learn but then she can also pursue her dreams yeah and her goals now in her past now and so yeah well again from a from an observer's point of view like you're doing exactly that like she I wish I could convey in a brief audio like how just amazing Thundi is like the way that she well, I mean, we already talked about how like social she is, but but she's doing all those things already. Like she, I see her through through your social media and stuff, like d- developing interests and in things that most kids her age wouldn't even have a clue about. And it's so beautiful how you nurture that and like create a space for her to explore and create. And I just, I mean, you're you're a model for me and my kids. Like I want my kids to feel the same way that it seems that your daughter feels in your care and, you know, being educated by you. Like, it's just so, I don't know. It's, it's beautiful. I I love the way that you do things. So thank you. I definitely think that it can be done. Even if your child is attending school, I think the parent just, I've seen personally for me, the, some of the people in my life whose children attend school and a lot of and I have a lot of teacher friends, too. It just seems that parents tend to phone in their children's education to the teacher. And like, I'm sending you here, either I'm paying for this or, you know, the, the it's public education. It's the teacher's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then they check out of that section of their child's life. And I think we're missing a rare opportunity. You know, all those memes of like, um, oh, what did you learn in school? Line dancing. Why didn't they teach me taxes? <laughs> the, you can... You can fill in the gaps. You can yeah. you can do things with your kid. I mean, it's a homeschooling is a huge sacrifice. I mean, I can't go work at nine to five and have a, a regular salaried job right now because this is my work. And so it's a privilege that I have this knowledge and this information, but it's also a huge sacrifice for my family. We're a solo income family and it's not great in this economy. Yeah. Um, but when I see how my how my daughter is thriving, it's I'm like, all right, it's okay, mm-hmm. we'll be mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the way that you educate. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'll be educated too here in yeah. the <laughs> Um, is the way that you nurture her love for nature. Mm-hmm. Um. So can you talk a little bit about that, like how how that why that's important to you and how it's become like such a central part of the way that you parent and educate your daughter? Yeah, um, my dad, in his own way, did that with me. He was an archer and he made bows and arrows and stuff from scratch. So we were we were out in the bush every weekend, every spare time that he had. He was out communing with nature. He was also an animist. So he spent a lot of time teaching my brothers and I how to hunt and to track and to just build a relationship with nature. And when I came here for a period of time, because the flora and the fauna here were just so foreign to me, I was just like, I'm done. Also, it snows here. I was like, (laughs) no, I'm in person now. We're done. And then I was really struggling with feeling connected. Also, being mixed race, sometimes I really struggle with feeling where I belong and so nature is a point of connection for me it just kind of happened with my daughter I've written a few poems and and short stories about how just 
walking with her all the time in the neighborhood when I was pregnant with her. And then once she was born and just observing the seasons, it just kind of happened where she just blossomed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Waldorf pedagogy and it just talks about how children are linked with nature. Yes. Especially in their most earliest years and how they thrive with the rhythms of the seasons and the and the tides, the moon, day, evening, the sun setting, the sun rising, the children mm-hmm. are at their their most yeah, they're at their most primal and this young stage they're so connected to to nature and I just provided an environment for her I think where she could do that the reason why we got this house is because it had this giant backyard I was pregnant with her and I was like great she can play in the backyard and so I just knew that it was something that I wanted for her even before I knew it mm-hmm. and then with my son it was also the same I was just like we're gonna indoctrinate you with the ways of <laughs> it's just it's just like anything that if people want their babies to be Christian they yeah. you know, raise them up reading the Bible with yeah. him and her I wanted them to have a deep relationship with nature because I knew that it would really support they would thrive with it and so that's what I work that I we work on every day yeah I think it's interesting too what you're saying about how like kids just are so in sync with like the seasons and the rhythms and the moon rising and the you know the all the cycles that happen in nature because you know I I feel like you can hear that and think like oh cool like children are different than adults but it's like we're all the same it just hasn't been conditioned out of the children yet exactly and that's another reason why I wanted to homeschool is because I did not want to let make her grow up too quickly I wanted her to be a child for as long as she needed to be a child and I feel like uh, my experience and I know the experience of a lot of my peers is that they're forced to grow up early sometimes in 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 school because of what's cool and what's hip Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's very true and that's tough because it's like you know when you're in school you're surrounded by a community of other kids but like that was my experience is like you lose your 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 essence yeah your innocence and like the essence of who you are quickly because you're trying to fit in with the crowd versus like just being who you are and I think actually that kind of pinpoints like the thing that I think is the most amazing about Thundee is just that she is 100% her own person you know you can tell that she's not been influenced by what's cool or what's trendy like she likes what she likes yes she picks what she thinks is bitching and she rolls with it (laughs) and it is like honestly I want to be her when I grow up I want her wardrobe like she has (laughs) great taste sometimes I'm like oh is it giving too homeschooled like oh the outfit that she picked (laughs) the mushrooms the outfit that she picked to come take the prairie photos Uh uh-huh I had to veto it because it was like, a f- and, and I'm like, please pick something that's not so, I felt bad because I'm like, oh, I'm stifling her uh-huh. uh, creativity, her creativity, but it was a ridiculous outfit. And what I was, was like, it? It was this vintage sa- sailor dress that was like neon blue and green. Mm-hmm. And I just did not see it vibing <clears throat> with the 
the color palette that all of us were wearing <laughs> and but it was very and it was hilarious she looked cute in it but I was like please pick something more muted and she fought me Ooh, and I, I was and I was like, mama lets you do whatever you want all the time. And well, no, within reason. I mean, yeah. I mean about like mama, I've gave I gave her full autonomy over her wardrobe, like Montessori style-esque from a very young age. Um, very young age. More and so I was just like, just give me this, uh, please. Please just, <laughs> just this one time. <laughs> one time. <laughs> and she did. She did. She did. Can you tell me a little bit about homeschooling? What are they called? Not pods. Are they pods? Co-ops are co-op. Co-ops. Yes. I can tell you what we're doing. I can't tell you yeah. about what they look like because this is the first time that I've ever done anything like this. Yeah. What's it been like for you guys? What does it look like for you? It's been great. It's been, we formed it. I think it's been about six months ago. I tried to form one when Tani was really young because I'm so like, if no one else is doing it, I'll do it. Um, we needed a secular homeschool co-op in Topeka because there were really only super Christian ones. Mm. And yeah, that's not the vibe for me particularly. And, but then I, again, I, I was the only homeschooler that I knew when I set that up and my child was way too young to begin schooling. So I had no business (laughs) doing it. And I'm so glad that um, this one other mom in our group, Sam was like, I'm just going to do this. My son needs this. So once she took up the mantle, then everyone else, we were like, great, we'll help you. So there's five other, um, parent families. So I think there's a total of six of us and we're kind of the admins. And so we meet like once a week and the, the group we can have anywhere from, nine and 10 to 30 kids depending oh, wow. on depending on the Friday we meet typically on Fridays for two hours and um there's like a show and tell where the children focus on um public speaking and, and as, asking and answering questions and then the older kids um go do what they're doing and the younger kids come do it where do go focus like it's broken up into those two groups and we cover any like right now we're focusing on there's a theater festival happening in St. Mary's. So for the next two to three months, we're going to be focusing on writing and theater and poetry and, mm. and language. Um, you know, pre- the previous three months it was science. And then I think the previous three months before that, it was I don't even remember. I think I think it was science led. I checked out when my father-in-law when we were dealing with everything with yeah. my father. Yeah. But yeah, it's just great. It's parent led. Parents come with their children and they're a part of their child's education. The children get to socialize um and play and learn uh, alongside each other and then we also have speakers come in like we had someone from the kansas forestry department come do owl pellets with him and we go on field trips to music yeah it's just a way for for community and then also you know you can get things like discounts on field trip and it just meet other like-minded people and families i'm really grateful that it exists even before the co-op you know i was still doing things like that with my kid with other homeschool families but now to be exposed to way uh, people who may do things uh secular homeschoolers who may do things differently is awesome yeah i imagine that would like would be very helpful in like i mean obviously but like making you feel less alone in your homeschooling 
ventures and like you said, learning from other parents about the way that they're doing things is like generating ideas for way that, ways that things that you could integrate into your home own homeschooling. So very collaborative. Yeah, sharing sharing cool. resources, sharing information, all that stuff. Well, that was going to be my next um, question is how sourcing resources. One thing that I think most people know is that and I think it's gotten better in recent years, but that there's not great representation in in educational materials, both like racially and culturally. And, you know, and I think that's largely because of who's creating the materials, yeah, um, sure. who makes up those organizations and, or, you know, the, the companies that are putting out those materials and it's white led organizations. And so that's what dominates the scene. So how do you source materials that are representative of your child and, you know, her culture and the way that she looks so that she sees herself in the books that she reads, for example? I think it's just continued effort. I make sure I seek those materials out. I I follow other content creators or homeschoolers that that's their work is representation. And so they're constantly sharing resources. So I remember I reached out to a homeschooling friend of mine who's doing, she's working on like handwriting with her daughter. And I was like, well, how are you focusing on that? And she was like, well, I choose a children's poetry book and then we read the poem and then I, and then she copies it. And I was like, oh, that's such a fun way to learn. It's a fun way to tackle two pieces of learning, mm-hmm. which I want with the child, which is I want her to be able to kind of learn and recite poetry, poems. I want her to get comfortable with poems and then also for her to work on her handwriting. And so she's tackling, um, you know, memorization and poetry, learning, language, cadence, all the stuff that comes with poetry. But then she's also practicing her handwriting by writing it out. And then and she was like, we love these poetry books. And then she sent me the poetry books and they were by... There was like Winnie the Pooh, Christopher Robin, all that stuff. And I was like, just looking at the images on the poetry book, it was just a cute blonde little white boy. And I was like, mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with my kid. Mm-hmm. So then I go to this other resource that I like, which is Heritage Mom blog. And she, her whole thing is just sharing culturally relevant to African-American people um, homeschool stuff. So mm-hmm. I was just like, great. searched. And I mean, I, I could have even done this on Google, but I found beautiful poetry books written by black authors that feature black children um, that are nature-based essentially yeah. and pick that. And so that's what we're using. So it's a consistent effort because yeah, like you said, not of the, not a lot of the resources are multifaceted. They don't include people from every culture or every race. It's usually just catered towards um, the majority of people in America, which is white people. And so yeah, I have to I have to do the effort. I have yeah. to make it, but I'm fine with it. Was that more challenging like to to cuz I mean that's amazing that you have those places where you know you can go to find mm-hmm. the resources that you want. Was that more challenging a few years ago like particularly before 2020? I think it was incredibly challenging when my daughter was really really young. I yeah. joke that because yeah, when I would walk into a bookstore I would only be able to buy animal books. Uh, oh, that's probably why she was so obsessed with nature, because all her books <laughs> were about farm animals, um, because there were no children of color featured in children's storybooks. Zero zilch, unless you would have to like find it and online and buy it. 
Again, um, she's only seven. This isn't like decades yeah. ago that we're talking. This is just a few years ago. And then it drastically changed. Yeah, probably by the time she was three or four, that there was a lot more availability. Publishers just started prioritizing, you know, stories written by people of color or stories about children of color. There's still a disparity. A lot of the stories, mainstream stories written by children of color are not written by people of color. So that's a whole other thing that we could get into. But anyway, I'm So uh, you're an herbalist, mm-hmm. which like I consider myself an herbalist, too, although I don't really know how to define herbalist. I guess just like a person who works with plants or incorporates plants into their lives via their food. And like, how, how do you define her- herbalism? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used to have a strict, de- I think, definition that I used to share with the folks on my Patreon, which is like, you know, if you want to be in a relationship with the plants and work with them. Um, either through making medicine or, yeah, essentially, right? A person who's an herbalist is someone who is actively engaging with the medicinal properties of plants or working with plants, cultivating them. Then, yeah, I would consider you an herbalist if you're making tinctures and teas and eating medicinal herbs and and yeah. building a right relationship with herbal medicine, then, yeah. Yeah. There's some people who I wouldn't consider who just like take the plants and then they're like, oh, this is for this. Great. I'm going to make this medicine and sell it. I, right. Just because you have that knowledge doesn't necessarily make you. Yeah. I think you have to willing, be willing to do to be in right relationship with the plants. Yeah. But that's, no one can define that for anyone. Yeah. To me, it's like. So what you described of like, OK, you know, I, I know that there's this benefit to this plant, so I'm going to grow it and extract this part of the plant that has like the most benefit and sell it and it's very different than and I'm just saying what you said a different mm-hmm. way basically but growing like and I don't think you necessarily yeah. have to grow herbs mm-hmm. to be an herbalist but but it's having like a like a slower more yeah. respectful relationship with the plant and not just taking them for their benefits yeah and, and being extractive about it it's yeah exactly it's being in right relationship so and you're you consider yourself a folk herbalist, mm-hmm. um, which can you just tell me a bit about how that's different than a regular herbalist? I think I just give the I just added folk because I care a lot about the lore and the interactions that human beings have had with plants for as long as they we've known that they've had an interaction with them yeah um i just gave that distinction because i don't want people to think that i'm a clinical herbalist i don't want anyone reaching out to me asking for help i want a folk herbalist is just someone who um just has a deep relationship um and can kind of put you on the right path to your own self-discovery as opposed to a clinical herbalist who could help you like address a certain ailment or something. Yeah, and, and address certain... Well, I don't know if the clinical herbs are allowed to diagnose, but help you address issues that you have. I had designs to one day be a clinical herbalist, and I might one day. But right now, I'm really just enjoying kind of... Because I'm also a writer, so I really yeah. love the the story and relationship that human beings have with herbs, as well as loving the you know the the medicine the and and the relationship that we can have with plants in that way so folk and or to the, it ties those two together People and plants mm-hmm. yeah and so you have a, a unique perspective on herbalism because your 
roots are in Africa and then your adult life has been here in on the American continent. So you mm-hmm. you have like a blended knowledge of of the plants that grow native where you're from and then the plants that grow native here in Kansas. Do you see like a a blending of those two in in your particular practice of herbalism? I see a blending in in maybe the understanding, like the animus perspective of it, right? The importance of the that we are tied to nature intrinsically. That maybe that's what my two backgrounds and my two upbringings have maybe taught me. But I wish I knew way more about Southern African herbalism more than I do know. I know some things, like there are some, but a majority of my education is prairie and Western herbalism with just like a smidgen, just a smidgen of African stuff. I I mean, also I do not, like I studied under uh, an African-American um, granny midwife, like the tradition of the African-American granny midwife. So there is that, but it's not specifically tied to my, my upbringing as a Southern African. Let's mm-hmm. wrap up with some Q&A. As if that's not what we've been doing this whole time. <laughs> um, okay, Farai, what is your favorite thing about yourself? Oh my God, what is my favorite thing about my, my sense of humor? Oh, yeah, you have a great sense of humor. What is something that you appreciate in other people? There's so many things. What do I appreciate in other people? I want to say resiliency, but it's 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 not even that not not resiliency and then like oh bad shit happens to you and then you get, but just that we keep going even when things are terrible yeah oh so yeah i guess resiliency yeah <laughs> i think that's just always been something that i've that has inspired me like my aunt or my my aunt rosemary she is just one, a person who the worst of the worst things have happened to her from birth and she just gets up and she goes and she's still kind and she's still present and yeah she has her vices to kind of deal with everything that's (laughs) happened and who doesn't but it's never once dimmed her light or her kindness I love that yeah there's a I don't know do you know who Brandi Carlisle is Mm -hmm. okay yeah so she has a song in one of her lyrics is stay gentle keep the eyes of a child and I feel like that's particularly profound mm-hmm. in someone who has had a hard life and who's who has been through lots of adversity and to be able to maintain that yes. is like a superpower so that's really cool. yes I'm glad she has always me. been superhuman to me mm, I love that who's your favorite artist any kind like music visual art whatever I would say Burna Boy has been of the of my favorite musician for the past several years. I have too many. I also love Jacob yeah, Banks, Hozier. Mm-hmm. And then my favorite children's illustrator is Phoebe Wall. What's your favorite book? Oh God. Or a favorite book as of late, if that's easier. um I think one <laughs> that I always go to is To Bless the Space Between Us. That's by it's a book by John O'Donohue and it's basically this book that has all these invocations and blessings for different periods of 
people's lives. So on the death of a loved one, on a new job, when illness sets in, on a birthday, on giving birth, he has essentially a poem or a blessing for these. Yeah, because we don't really have rites of initiation or or acknowledgments of these huge big milestones or things happening in our lives. And so that book just kind of centers um centers me I, f- I find myself reaching for it a lot even like right now yeah with my father-in-law's passing yeah um I just I love to have that book nearby I feel like John O'Donohue was an uncle of mine in a past life I adore him so mm-hmm. okay well I've it. never heard of that so I can't wait to check that out um and then your favorite children's book oh my god a favorite children's book <laughs> <laughs> a I don't know if I have one. I love too many. It's a it's a problem. The the thing about my my children homeschooling is that when buying books for your kids, you can also kind of get books for your own inner child. Yes. <laughs> um, I really love the Phoebe Wall series, the Little Witch okay. Hazel. I guess is one that we're loving in our family right now. But I don't think I have a number one favorite. Yeah, that's always really hard, especially when you're like a an avid reader yeah um and then what's an herb that you think everyone should have in their garden or in their kitchen it will always be rosemary because that's my the aunt that i just mentioned it's her name and then it's my i named my son for her oh yeah (laughs) i'm biased i'm biased for that plant i love that plant i love rosemary i think everyone should usually before podcasts i'll drink a cup of rosemary tea or i'll burn rosemary smoke um, I just really love that plant. Okay. Well, Farai, thank you so much for your time. I know you've got two little munchkins running around your legs. and <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's looking at me right now. <laughs> he's like, Mom, are you done yet? <laughs> and I just love talking to you. Every time I talk to you, I learn something new. So it's thank um, you. real joy I'm for sorry me. sorry it was so chaotic. <laughs> it wasn't chaotic at all. You, you amaze me. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.